Our scripture this morning comes from Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 17. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And a gr the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they have loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, and times, and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. This is God's word. Well, good morning. Doesn't that say Christmas? Merry Christmas to all of you. Um, I'm sure you got up this morning thinking about the dragon. Uh, <clears throat> I'm not going to act out if you're wondering, by looking here in the worship folder at the little insert, uh, some of my members, some of the members of my family may have asked me, are you going to act this out? Because you see there's scene one and scene two. So I'm not going to do the woman and then do the dragon and then do the child um, or anything like that. But hopefully, uh, elementary age uh, children in particular, uh, as, we, as we walk through this, um, there's, so much, there's so much here to say. Uh, and I can't possibly say it all, nor would I even try. Uh, and so we're going to walk through it uh, as, we, uh, as we begin today. My name's Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here 
Uh, good to see you. Thank you for being here uh, on, uh, on Christmas Day, uh, on, on uh, the Lord's Day, uh, which happens to fall on Christmas Day this year. Uh, Revelation, as we've been talking about all Advent, is a, is a pastoral letter. It's written to those who are undergoing very difficult circumstances in the first century. And, and John is writing to a group of people who are very much struggling to walk by faith in the midst of suffering. And so how do you help those who are in the midst of suffering? How do you help those who are struggling in the present moment? Well, you remind them of their future. And all throughout Advent, we've been reminded of our future. Things like a feast, a battle, a city, a garden, all beautifully painted and all profoundly painted by John in this book. But you know what makes Christianity so unique? And again, we've heard this. Each week of Advent, you could sort of feel this. We're already getting a taste of this future now. Right now, we're already getting a taste of the feast, a taste of the battle, a taste of the city, a taste of the garden. And so today, as it is Christmas Day, brothers and sisters all over the world gathering to retell and relive the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, Today's a little different. We're looking at the past because it both impacts our present and future. And so as we read John's letter, John's letter was written after the coming of Jesus into the world. His life is... His death, his resurrection, his ascension were past events for the Christians who were reading this letter. Uh, And so they are for us uh, as well. But as you see there in your worship folder on the the insert, on the side that has the outline, uh, this doesn't exactly sound like silent night, holy night, or away in a manger, no crib for his bed, the little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. I've, uh, well, I don't know how to say that. I have struggled the last week or two uh, knowing, after Drew said, hey, uh, would you do Christmas Day, Revelation 12? Um, those, <laughs> those hymns have been a struggle for me because my mind has been in this passage. Uh, this passage gives us an explanation for the conflict between Satan and God's people. And so let me summarize it this way. The sacrificial death of Jesus which of course wasn't possible without his birth at Christmas, both ensures and actually commences victory for all who hold to his name, right? And that wasn't possible without his birth, but it's a victory whose consummation is anticipated as he protects the woman from the dragon's onslaughts and more on who each of these three are as we walk through uh, each of these Scenes, and that's what I'm going to do is just kind of summarize for you these characters in these scenes. There's, there's lots and lots of symbolism here, and I can't possibly get to all of it or get to everything that the, the passage says, but I, I do want us to meditate on a few things. And here's the thing I was reminded this week in talking about this passage you may not think of Christmas this way, but your enemy does. And that's what's been so sobering to, to, to consider. Uh, it, it's it's just been really, it's been hard in some ways uh, for me uh, this week. So we're going to look at uh, these two scenes, and while they're not necessarily in, in chronological order, they're, they're connected. Again, Revelation's full of symbolism and full of some really, as Susan was reading, you probably thought, gosh, this is some weird stuff. Uh, and we've been reading Revelation in community Bible reading, uh, and somebody said to me the other day, I have no idea what I'm reading, but I just keep reading hoping maybe it'll make sense eventually. 
But in both of these scenes, what I want you to, to pick up on is that we, as God's people, are three things. So just keep these three words in mind, and I hope to expand on them or just sort of meditate on them as we go. Without Christmas, we are none of these. We are rescued, we are a rescued people, we are a protected people, and we are a pursued people. Okay, And without Christmas, we're none of those. So first, look at the, the first scene, the first six verses. This, this woman, who is she? Well, she's none other than God's people. The woman represents the church. The woman represents God's people throughout history. First Israel, through whom Jesus would come, hence the reason the woman's giving birth to a male child who would rule the, the nations with a rod of iron. Ultimately, the rest of the offspring of this woman are those who, verse 17, I'm jumping to the end, keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. More on that. Uh, in just a few minutes. But this is a picture of none other than the bride. Look at her. Look how beautiful she is. John says, verse 1, she's clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Again, think about the circumstances of the people receiving this letter, okay? How did they feel as God's people in the first century? Well, anything but beautiful, anything but radiant, right? They felt beat up. They felt scared. They felt persecuted. They, th this had to encourage them, and it should us as well. And why is that? Well, because despite the woman's fragility, despite the threat of danger, she's protected. Look at verse 6. Okay? This dragon is ready to pounce, but the woman flees into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished. And so... the. There's, Drew's alluded to this throughout Advent. There's lots of references throughout the book of Revelation to the Old Testament, and so it's, it's helpful to know some of that background, even as you're reading through the book. The Exodus event, all the way back, second book of the Bible, the Exodus event defined God's people in that they were a rescued people, and then wandering in their wilderness before entering the promised land, they were a protected people. First they were rescued, then they're protected as they're wandering in the wilderness. And Revelation 12 seems to leave the impression that the woman is destined for the wilderness. It's where she belongs. It's where she's sent. She flees there because of the dragon's pursuit, but she goes there because it's the place of nourishment. It's the place of protection. It's the place of shelter. But listen, it's also the place of waiting, isn't it? It's the place of trials. It's the place of testing. It's a place of suffering. And that was John's message to the church of his day. Uh, and it's his message to us too. Now, look at the child. Who is the child? Let me read verse 5 again. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Now, in one verse, this is amazing. Get this. In one verse, John summarizes Jesus' entire existence in one verse. Right? From birth all the way to ascension. And despite the dragon's attempts, the child is caught up to God and the throne of God. And after all, now, again, first century, as these people were initially reading this letter, all the way to 2016, Jesus rules at the right hand of God, the Father in heaven. He's ruling all the nations with the rod of iron. And throughout Revelation, throughout Revelation, we're reminded that there's a throne. Have you been reminded of that? The throne comes back again and again and again, and you have to be reminded there's a throne, which means someone's sitting on the throne, which means there's someone ruling on the throne. 
Jesus is, or excuse me, John rather, is assuring the church that King Jesus isn't asleep at the wheel. The child born in Bethlehem is the king. He is the one who will rule um, the nations. He is the one who will subdue his enemies. And if that's true of our king, we can be rest assured of his protection. He has rescued us. He has protected us. And yet, uh, we're also being pursued. Thirdly, the dragon. Look at this first scene and see how the dragon appears. Behold, verse 3, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems, meaning he has a, a rule of sorts also, right? Uh, and, and, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. What on earth does that mean? So when has he tried to devour the child? Well, quite literally, I would tell you it was satanic madness that inspired Herod. Remember Herod, King Herod? When the wise men say, hey, where's the king of the Jews? We heard he's been born. What happens to Herod? He gets, Matthew says, furious and puts out a death edict all over the uh, uh, region of Bethlehem to kill all the male children under the age of two. Again, Satan tried to devour Jesus in the temptation. He said to him, you don't want to take the path of suffering, Jesus. Come, follow me. We'll rule the world together. And ultimately, he, of course, would try to devour Jesus as Jesus was unjustly tried, sentenced, and crucified, the forces of darkness conspiring to devour his life. But, of course, their efforts were in vain. Amen? In fact, it was Jesus' death that would lead, uh, excuse me, land the death blow we heard about this a few weeks ago. It was his death that would land the death blow as he crushed the head of the ancient serpent, resulting in his being thrown out of heaven, which takes us into scene two. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels and the dragon and his angels fought back. And here are the four words. Here are these four words. But he was defeated. Our enemy is defeated and our life is safe because God has granted salvation through the triumph of the male child. And even as we continue in the wilderness, we can be assured because without Christmas, listen, without Christmas, there are none of these things. There is no salvation. There is no power. There is no authority. Without Christmas, we still stand accused day and night by the accuser himself. Without Christmas, we're stuck in the winter of our own discontent deceived by our own sinful desires. And as the hymn writer so many, many years ago wrote, O come thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory over the grave. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel has come. And so with Christmas we get, look at, look at verse 10, I, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night. And they've conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. With Christmas, we get all of that. We are rescued people because Jesus was the rescuer. As we heard again last night, his mission was one of rescue to prove once and for all that the terrible lie the serpent had duped humanity into believing in the beginning was in fact false. God does love us. God is looking out for us. He's not holding out on us. Look at how generous he is. Jesus rescues us by willingly offering himself. 
He wasn't rescued from his father's wrath for sin, so we could be, in fact, rescued in him. John's telling us here, we are more than conquerors by the blood of the lamb because his blood upon us nullifies Satan's accusations. He can't accuse you anymore if you are in Christ. In the courtroom of heaven, Jesus Christ the righteous stands as our defense attorney, setting us free from sin. But not only that, we're a protected people. And funny enough, isn't it? It's in the wilderness that we find protection and nourishment. The Bible describes the church as a pilgrim people in the wilderness. John is encouraging, in a strange way, the church of the first century and us with the fact that we find protection, God's people, the woman, find protection in the wilderness. C.S. Lewis says, as Christians, we're all between the paws of the true Aslan. I had to get a reference in there. So I hope Drew's proud of me for that. But it's true. It's true. And now to be sure, the wilderness is a scary place. Sometimes it's, it's hard to feel protected unless you remember that you've been rescued. Salvation becomes the basis for security. See, Moses had to remind Israel. He had to remind them again and again that God had gone through great lengths to rescue them. Remember that? All the times when they got down, when they got discouraged, he had to remind them. God has has extended his arm of power to rescue you because you are his. So while it might get hard at times, God had them in the palm of his hand. But remember, we're not only a rescued and protected people, we're also a pursued people. And if you look there in verse 13 to verse 17, it's the last thing I want to say, (laughs) strangely enough, again. The dragon. Look at what happens to the dragon. When he saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. He's defeated, but still dangerous. He's defeated, but not terminated yet. He's full of great wrath, but look at verse 12. He knows that his time is short. I hope that encourages you. It it, it encouraged this people who are going through incredibly difficult circumstances No matter what circumstances you're in, that should encourage you. He's furious, and so he makes war on the woman and her offspring. And in fact, we still see this playing out. Uh, One current example uh, that I wanted to just bring to your attention, this past week I I read an article about uh, uh, Iraq's Christian population. It's very small, but they do have quite a strong Christian population, kind of like the woman in the northern part of the country. And... Many of them are spending Christmas in refugee camps, kind of like the wilderness. Uh, Refugee camps that have been set up because they were driven out of their villages by the Islamic State, kind of like the dragon. But their testimonies, as this writer was just cataloging, and and they're actually, they took photos of each of the people of this uh, group that they had interviewed. Their testimonies are so powerful. They were they, they told of being threatened with death if they didn't convert. But the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and the word of their testimony has conquered. And you, you, you saw it. You, you, you heard it as the interviewer recounted their testimonies and their stories. They belong to Jesus. Even as they struggle and suffer, they are nourished. Now, you talk about a picture of waiting. One of them said, we just want to go home. 
So I found myself saying, come, Lord Jesus, end the suffering of your church. Now, why is he so intent on destroying the woman and her offspring? It goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis 3, God told the serpent his deception would cost him war. And he's intent because of what the woman's offspring do. They keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And so listen, every time you choose kindness, every time you choose forgiveness, every time you fight selfishness, you are defeating the dragon. Every time you testify to the work of Jesus' spirit to change you, or someone else does, into a person who loves obedience, you defeat the dragon. Now know that he's after you, if you're a Christian, but know, know that Christmas marks the beginning of the end. His time is short, and so we fight on under the blood of the lamb, clinging to the rock of ages. Let me close with this verse from a mighty fortress is our God, a hymn written uh, five, 600 years ago. He says, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. For God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. The snake crusher has come. Rejoice. He rules now because he was born then. And so would you pray with me? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus, we do pray that you would come. It helps us to remember, as these words of uh, John to to the early church reminded them, you really do rule. And while we are being pursued, you have rescued us. We have conquered by, the, by, by your blood and the word of our testimony about that blood. And you protect us, even as this pilgrim band that we are wandering through the wilderness of this world. But we pray as we remember again today, as we relive, as we retell this, this incredibly mysterious and yet incredibly remarkable story of the snake crusher coming to crush the head of the serpent once and for all. Lo, his doom is sure. Would you encourage us this morning? Would you help us to fight the battles that are in front of us? And might we bring honor and glory to you as a result, we pray. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly and rescue your people for the final time. And we pray in your name, amen. Uh, And so as you go, this is a reminder of this benediction. Uh, As you go, you've been rescued uh, because what I say over you was not said over Jesus so that it could be said over you. Uh, But as you go, you're protected also, but know that you're pursued. And so as you go to, as we just sang, uh, prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love, he's, he's, he's coming after you because he wants those things to be done away with. And so take these words, and may they, uh, to quote last night, uh, I think it was weave or grind, something to that effect, a smooth groove into your heart uh, of hope and courage and confidence. As you go, he goes with you. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Merry Christmas.